Welcome to Doc Talks, brought to you from NerdWorks Media. Welcome back to Doc Talks, where I Doc Talk. Today we're going to be talking about rules as written versus rules as intended, and a little bit about artificers. We get started about this rules as written versus rules as intended. And I've said it all the time, each DM is different, all the tables are different, they don't have to be the same, that's the glorious thing about role-playing games, even if you're playing the exact same role-playing game, it doesn't need to be the exact same every time. I hear these people all the time talk about, you know, you have to let a player play this, or you have to let somebody play this class, or whatever it is. And the real answer is, DMs control their world. Me, personally... I don't have a problem with it. We've had certain circumstances where we haven't had certain races before, but that's because it was part of the story, and that's what it is. And there's nothing wrong with that. There is zero wrong with a DM controlling or making a world that is fun to play in. That fun might be little things like changing the rules a little bit, like what you can and can't play. I mean, the honest thing is there's a lot of game books out there, especially for like D&D, but even like 3.5 or even Pathfinder, all these different character concepts, these different things that want to play. I will encourage you to try to stay away from homebrew that hasn't been play tested yet for no whatever system you're playing. And that's because unless you're willing to make changes during that game system itself, you really have to understand that the playtesting makes things, gives them life. I, I don't know if that makes sense. So you're playing collectively, and in collectively I mean that everybody, there's not one hero, there's how many people are in your party, heroes or villains or whatever you're going to play. And you want to be balanced. You don't want one person taking all of the glory, as it would be said. You have characters that will do more damage. That's the way that everything is made. There's not a game system where everybody's damage is equal. There is games that play where you have somebody who does damage, but it's easy to hit. You have somebody who does medium to lower damage, and it's harder to hit. You have those that are super freaking hard to hit and do very little damage. There is a balance in the game, and we're just talking about damage versus hitting, but even like power and power systems and... What you get from choosing classes in games like D&D, Pathfinder, etc. is you get the option to have more options. The choice to have more stuff while you're playing. So these things are important. In each of the rule systems, there's written rules. And sometimes those rules can be kind of hard to understand. Not everything is written and perfectly understandable or even make sense some of the times. And so we have to understand that rules are written for a reason, and we have to balance that with rules as intended. So that's raw versus rye or whatever you want to say. But it doesn't matter how you say it, 
It's just what it is. And I've said it a bunch of times on this podcast. I've said it a bunch of times on apps and different things. It doesn't matter how you get to the end. All that matters is that the mechanic works the way it's supposed to. It shouldn't be stronger. It shouldn't be less strong. You shouldn't have unreasonable expectations. But within the spell, you should have reasonable expectations. Or whatever it is. Because it doesn't matter if it's not a spell, as long as the reasonable expectation is what happens. So, oh, I didn't update my thing. My booth 69. Everything went really good. I'll tell you all about that in a second. But... To get back to this, just because a rule says you can and can't do something, there's a spirit of the rule or spirit of the law, as it said. This we see in everyday life that there's spirits in and interpretations of things. But this isn't just an interpretation. We have to understand that the rules as written are never intended to be played exactly as they're written. I know that's going to make some people mad, especially rules lawyers. But it was a guideline that they decided on a game. And so they can be changed as long as we're within the spirit of what it is. So we have to figure out what the rule was intending to do. And then we have to make that part of the game. When we talk about all our game systems, no matter what they are, we have to understand that the rules were intended for a reason. So if I'm playing Vampire the Masquerade and we talk about... um, Hunger rules, those rules are written because somebody thought it might be important to get to the rules of what would happen if I just, if a vampire was just changed. What would the hunger issues be? And even Vampire the Masquerade's in its fifth edition, and they've changed it and streamlined it. And and I like it a little bit better. People I've talked to say that they like the old way a little bit better, but this is an interpretation. I had to make, I didn't have to. I made a TikTok today and I talked about how I, I don't understand what the this consensus of games is for people, but now there's this new group of people that hate on people that play D&D or like D&D. I play quite a few games. I can run about 50 to 60, 40 to 50, somewhere between 40 and 60 different game styles. And they don't have to be the exact rules. It's just you have to understand the majority of the mechanics of a game. So if skills increase and you just increase or decrease D6s that you're using, that's one way to play. If you just have the standard seven polyhedral dice, that's another way to play. And I understand them enough, even the ones that are similar, like little extra rules. And I will write little notes if I'm switching not enough to one session, one kind of game to another. I play a lot of tabletop role-playing games. I will tell you that D&D has the most amount of resources out there, and it's not just the books that they print, but the people in general. And the argument that people want to say is D&D is expensive. It's not. There are free roller apps, and the podcast um, summaries where they tell me to write something... I usually put in the basic rules of D&D that you can download that are free from Wizards of the Coast. What I'm trying to say is one role-playing game is not better than another. A tabletop might have something you as a player want from it, and it makes that game better for you, but it doesn't make that the best role-playing game. I will say that D&D is fairly in the middle of all the games that are out there right now. It is more streamlined than Dungeons & Dragons has ever been, but it is 
not the simplest. It's not the hardest. It doesn't have the most robust, but it doesn't have the smallest amount. It is a very centric game. And, and because it's in the middle like that, I think that's why it gets a lot more attention. There's a group of us that have been playing for a long time, and we've played almost every edition. We remember how hard it was for the DM to set up in second edition, or it literally took hours to make your characters because there was so much to think about in second edition. There was a lot in third edition. There was a lot in 3.5, and people are like, oh, well, you just got more options. Well, kind of. You don't have less options. You just have to figure out how to put the options into the game, and that's really where experienced DM versus inexperienced DM is going to come into play. D&D is not popular because, like I made <laughs> the point to put in my video, is not because Wizards of the Coast puts a lot of money into their game and, and marketing. You don't see TV commercials. You don't see advertisements about the new books. It's a lot of word of mouth and being in the know. It's going and following and following on Twitter and putting yourself in the, the mail... Um, what do they call them, those little email things that they do, and, and being available and telling them, yes, send me all this stuff. I would love to know when your next book's coming out. I want to know what it's about. If you're like me, you're just addicted and you want the book, and just to see what it has, and a little tidbits. I love reading through a book. Two things I love is when something's mentioned that I've used that has never been in a book before, that always amazes me, and I love it. And when something is put into a book that's new or a writing of something I've never thought of before, no matter how I've been doing it before, it makes me think about how I'm doing something. The rules in any game system are not going to cover 100% of the rules. This is not a thing. It's not going to happen. That, And I've said it before. That's why there's erratas and there's kits and new books or whatever the system does that puts it out there. You can adapt 5e as much as you could the old ones and still make it so that you didn't have to track every little thing so that three rounds later you read something on your character sheet and you're like, crap, I should have got this. And you're like, oh, no, it didn't happen. <laughs> We're not going to worry about what D&D has. D&D appeals to a mass amount of people. Call of Cthulhu uh, applies to other people. Fate applies to other people. And then there's weird people like me that just love all of these games and see the potentials of all of them. I don't need that consistency. I don't need to... I don't think one game is better than another. I like to use D&D to introduce people to role-playing games because I think it's more well-known. And when we talk about the rules... As an example, when 4E was released, Wizard, or, uh, World of Warcraft adapted its rules to meet Wizards of the Coast rules, and so they were very similar. That's because 4E was very game-centric. And if you want to play a role-playing game like it is a game that you would uh, play in a video game as a tabletop game, there's nothing wrong with that. You don't see an issue with that. And if you that's all DM dependent and table dependent. We just have to be sure that when we're reading through the rules, all of our rule books, and, and like I have quite a few. I have one called, I bet you a lot of you have not heard of Endless Realms. I always have to look because I forget the title. Endless Realms. Or any of the new games that are coming out, and they all have different rule sets. The funny thing is we're at a point in history where nobody has a new idea, so we're using the same old idea as before. And as we said in similar episodes, recent episodes, I should say, it's not that D&D... D&D has evolved to a role-playing game. 
it was a strategy game. It was a realistic war game set with different kinds of settings. And that's what the rules were intended to be. And so the original set of rules were just about making more realistic dice rolls to what was happening. And so instead of having D100s, they decided they can D20 that. And it would have almost the same amount of suspense or uh, probability in each one of the things that they do. And then they created this war game. And then that war game has been taken and then people realized especially in second edition and people like me, I got to watch people come to the table and watch the guy in a wheelchair create a really fast running, whatever it was. And he would do that in the game and he was living and fulfilling a fantasy that he did not have the opportunity to do through a game. And we have to remember that it is just a game at the table. The rules are there to guide us, to make things even, to make things so that they're not godlike. And then there's books, even I own, the God's Fall book, where you literally earn powers as a god of something. And then we add that into our game. But we have to understand that when we read the rules, there's the rules as written, and then we have the rules as intended or the rules as interpreted is another way to put that. And so it is our interpretation of the rules themselves. And like I said before, none of these are right and wrong. These are all interpretations to the table. I will say we're in a weird time. The more I talk to people, the more I realize that a lot of people look at the DM like another player. And I really think that's an unfair thing to do. A DM's job is to create a world for you to play in. To play all the NPCs. They have quite a few characters. Try to keep them together. And to create an environment for your play, your PCs to go through. Your player characters. When we look at it that way, the DM has quite a lot on their shoulders, and it really is unfair to be like, well, DM, if you don't let me do what I want to do, then you're a toxic DM. I don't understand it. I do understand there are toxic DMs out there. They are very far and few between from what I've seen, and and I can only talk about my bubble of reality. I understand that that's not full reality. Just like when somebody tells me about a toxic DM that they have, it helps me to help them understand that that's not a reality that's your bubble of reality the truth is is most dms enjoy players enjoying stories most dms are not people that got beat up that want to be in charge most dms are not put your foot down most dms are not rule lawyers i do realize that they exist but in mathematics anything over 80 percent is a is a rule. It's a standard. It's when where we use the term everything or everyone, we are saying 80% or more of them are like this. And that makes a rule. Exceptions do not make the rules. Exceptions are what they are, exceptions to the rules. And so when we know that there are DMs out there that are toxic and DMs out there that are terrible and DMs that are gatekeeping and whatever else these people are doing, I'm telling you right now that by talking about them and making them seem like the majority of people, you're scaring people away from our crafts, whatever it is, whatever game. I know we talk a lot about D&D on this podcast, but we play so many other games. Anybody who's in my circle of playing games knows I am not D&D centric. I know a lot about D&D. I've played everything or all the the additions up to where we are now. I also continue to play Pathfinder. I continue to play Fate. These are my big ones. I play Paranoia any chance I get. It's one of my favorite games. I love playing Dread. 
that's a tabletop role-playing game where there's no dice. You use a Jenga tower to play. There are so many different games out there, and to say that one is better than another is terrible. When people, the reason D&D is popular is not because Wizards of the Coast put a lot into advertisement. From what I found and asked about, outside of making really terrible movies and a decent cartoon from when I was a kid, the only other thing that they did, D&D in general, was to put once into one Comic-Con. They, they did something. In 2019, they put like $50 million in for one con, to do something at one con. We don't see the cons when we go down to the game tales. They're not sponsored by Dungeons & Dragons. They're not sponsored by Watsy. They're not sponsored by Paizo. They're usually sponsored by some committee that's collecting books. In my area, it's the Alexander Alexandria Library. And I, I may tag their Twitch on here because they do have a Twitch channel. And so Alexandria Library's whole purpose in life is to collect different types of role-playing games and to have them available for people to play at Comic-Cons. So you can come to the library and like a library, like take out materials to play a game. That should be a good indication. Somebody went out of their way to create an entire library to store these books to tell you how many different kinds of different role-playing games that there are. And so in each one of these, there's the rules is written exactly what they're written in the book. And I, I guess it's because some of us played GURP and Rift. We have to understand that our games, the way that they're written, were intended to give us a guideline, somebody's idea, somebody put it on paper. And sometimes they don't always do the best on that as well. I was getting to the part where the reason that we need to respect DMs a lot more is not because of everything they got going on, but their job is to interpret the rules of a game. And no, they shouldn't dictate. No, they shouldn't be a dictator. No, they should never put their foot down and say, this is how things are going to happen. But when they make a decision, we have to respect it as players. And we can talk about it later, but let's not bug them with it. Again, it's a game. And, and I think that we don't need to get them stressed and defensive all the time as well either. And that's not just because I DM a lot, because even though I am DM Doc and I DM quite a few games, I am blessed in my community that most of the guys that I've ever played with at my table also want to DM, so they invite me into their games, etc. And and so I get to play as much as I DM. But we're going to jump into a book here I have, and, and we're going to talk about Artificers. We're not going to talk about UA. We're not going to talk about Homebrew Artificers. We're going to talk about the first one that was ever created that was put out. And I have the book from Eberron in front of me, which is Rising from the Last War. And the more and more books come out, the more and more people want to use it in their games. And I'm excited about this, and I'm worried about this at the same time. I try to tell people that want to play Warforged, let's do Warforged, that's fine. But let's have a reason that your Warforged came over from the realm of Eberron. See, the way the... The game's designed is there, the reason that every DM can have a different world is because all these worlds exist within the material plane. They're multiverses within the material plane. And so if you follow D&D lore, over time the veils become thinner and thinner and thinner and, and they ramp the books up. Books don't just come out to give you AP. They're always part of a lore that's happening. Something There's always a reason behind that. And into the point where... In, the material plane, Magic the Gathering, as a game, exists as a real place with lore, and now the veil is being torn between these two worlds. Artificer is an amazing class 
And I think they did it justice on what it is. And like anything else, your players can try to break it, whatever. But I love that there is a magic user that gets to flavor everything in some kind of technology. And that's what Artificer is, as a very small, minute understanding of what Artificer is. Unlocking magic in everyday items. Supreme inventors. These are the words that they use to describe Artificers. The original Artificer had two selections in UA, and I did enjoy them, but they weren't like they weren't like amazing. They didn't blow me away. And then they came out with the Eberron ones, and they came out with Battlesmith, and they came out with I'm trying to find them all because I'm trying not to be mean and just remember one, but it's where I am right now. Uh, they came out with the Alchemist, the Arterialist, the Battlesmith. They came out with these infusions, and they came out with a plethora of things. And what did it do? It gave us a class that had different options. Not different as in this, they didn't have the same spells or whatever, because they have access to similar spells, they just use them differently. When we talk about all of these things from Artificer that are here, we have to understand that it's coming from one point of view. And that is a magic user, as different as a bard is being a magic user from a sorcerer, a wizard, and a cleric, and all these different, or even a warlock, all these different classes. It's just another magic user. But this magic user, this magic user is from my steampunk magic users. These are for my people who come to my table and want to have a little bit more steampunk experience. And so, again, nothing wrong with that. I think it's amazing. I think it's wonderful. I love what people can do with it because, again, it's up to the imagination. Just because the book says something, again, Artificer, just because it's written a certain way doesn't mean you can't flavor it another way. Artificer was created to allow people to have an arcane scientist. However you want to put that. Using technology and, and, and having that play a little bit more. And I've ran into this, just to bring it back a little bit, with somebody at my table who wanted to play one. And so when we talk about limiting class and abilities and stuff like that, I originally did a Eberron True Game using 5e rules. And when I looked into that, Eberron and its lore and what the lore was at that time, Warforged Artificer would be a new thing. And so originally I was like, mm, I, the only problem I have with this is that an Artificer helps a Warforged, like works on a Warforged, but a doctor doesn't operate on themselves. And so that was the premise that we went into that. And so after talking with my player a little bit more we came up with yes you can do it absolutely you can't work on yourself something in your programming stops you from working on yourself also you know how dangerous it would be to work on yourself and so we met a good compromise is it in the rules no it's absolutely not written in the rules anywhere this was just something we sat down and came with together because we wanted to have a very balanced table and my player agreed or one of my character concepts on tiktok involves an artificer and it's because I needed somebody who would, in my backstory, could create what I wanted them to create for that. And I'm not going to ruin it for you guys in the podcast. You're more than welcome to find me at imdm.com and find these things, if you could find them. I make a lot of videos because I get ideas, and then I make the ideas, and I don't think about it for 30 seconds. <laughs> And then I make it. When we look into these characters, though, we want to not just know their abilities, but know why we want them for their abilities. 
when you look into Artificer, it has a quick build, what Mike talks about and all these things all the time. And so, it, you know, it says put this into this, this into this. And Artificer is what you would think it would be. Somebody who would need intelligence and dexterity. Basically where it is. So they need to be able to be smart enough to try to build something and quick enough not to have it blow up in their face. That's kind of how I look at it. I've played one Artificer. It was for NerdWorks Mike in one of his games. I was one of the members of one of the families. So you have to understand Eberron a little bit. But the families can't have titles, can't rule, but they're companies kind of thing. And I was a cousin, and there was a backstory. And so my character was very proper, but he was an artificer. And given moments, he was a genius. He was also a mad scientist, and he made weapons of mass destruction. It was part of his backstory. We never got to the part where I could figure out if he was happy or sad that he did it, but he was part of the family, and so he had benefits in the game. I didn't break anything, probably could have, but I didn't. I used the game materials to create a story for the other people that were there, and I do kind of miss that story because I wanted to know where it would go. But artificers are really amazing. So it's this really neat fighter class is what it comes down to. Originally, an artificer needed to be it was, I think it was a fighter class. Like you had to have three levels and then this was it. And there's a couple of things in here that I want to talk about. So arcane scientists, I already brought up. Arcane magic in the world of Eberron has been harnessed and it can be turned into tools, which is amazing. And it has a lot of role play, a role play potential. Uh, seekers of new lore. Nothing excites an artificer quite like uncovering a new metal or discovering a source of elemental energy. I did have somebody who wanted to play a mad scientist artificer. Ended up not going for it because they had another character idea while we were building. And it was fine, but it was this really neat idea of a scientist making something because they can't. No other reason. They're not trying to rule the world. They don't have any underlying purpose. They're just building things to build things. This is the character that you would love. Does it take away from the tinkering? No, that's a whole nother element. Tinkering is way different. Even though artificers use tinkering tools, artificers and tinkerers are different. They've been in the games for a while. When it comes to, I mean, you look at the, I have the original uh, player's handbook and it had tinkering tools in it. I think it was in the second edition as well. So these were always things that you can do. We should talk about multi-classing because we don't, play by the rules of multitasking most of the time as dms we just let people take a bunch of different classes but there are rules to multi-classing and and so there is rules to multi-classing this as well the awesome part of an artificer is like i said the magical tinkering the spell casting is not the spell itself the spell casting is casting the spell using like i said your tools, your summoning abilities, your builds, learning to infuse. Artificers, though, are spellcasters. They just use technology to do spellcasting, and depending on which subclass you take, uh, does different things. Alchemist does what you think. But I love it because it gave the game a real alchemist. A battle alchemist, I should say. Not just somebody who's brewing potions and selling them, but somebody who can use them, even make uh, um, experimental ones from time to time. The arterialist, exactly what you would think. We're bringing that shooting aspect into D&D. And, and in a way that's a little bit more uniformed, not as 
crazy as some of the people have done for gunslingers trying to translate them over. And then the battlesmiths were the ones to make the machines to do the battles for them. Everything in here, in Artificer in and of itself, in Eberron, is, is written really well. But Eberron is a war-torn world that's broken. And so when you play an Artificer, if your DM makes an art, art, has Artificers in their world, the next Bros and Dragons season has Artificers in the world. That's amazing, and it's has pre-sight, and then you can do it. And you don't have to worry about anything. But if you want to bring it into a world where it doesn't exist, talk to your DM about that veil being broken and then being from Eberron. Somehow being here. And it's always magic gone wrong is always the easiest way to do it. And it could be reinvented a million different ways and a million different stories. And so that you can see those stories the way they need to be. As always, I appreciate everybody coming out, listening to an old man talk about a game that's written for 12 years old, 12 year olds. That as I recently, somebody pointed out to me, and they're not wrong, as we talk about this game that people are learning to love. And like I said, D&D, I understand D&D is not the only game, and it's probably not the best game, because none of them are the best. Anything from GURP to Rifts to D&D to everything has its own little things that people enjoy. You need to find out which ones you enjoy more. I encourage you to try out other games, unless playing D&D, you feel like D&D is for you. If D&D is the game for you and you're happy playing it, don't you don't have to go searching for a game. But if you feel like D&D doesn't have everything you want it to have, that's okay. There are a ton of games out there that have different rule systems that you might enjoy a lot more. If you want something that's a little bit more like Clue the game or more detective work, I encourage Call of Cthulhu. If you want to be scared and be on the seat of your pants, I very much include you to go to find a game of Dread. If you want something that's more roleplay centric and less roles, go find Fate. If you want to try to have a realistic vampire experience, Vampire the Masquerade is a great book. These are so many different games out there, and these are just a few. I'm only mentioning a few of them. Again, I'm very humbled that everybody comes out to listen to me and, and interact with me. I very much appreciate that. You're all welcome back here. I will see you all next week. I love you all. Keep it nerdy. And live your dreams. Later. This has been a NerdWorks production.